Amen. So good to be in the house of the Lord this evening. It surely is. <laughs> Amen. <clears throat> when we gather together, and I say this a lot, but I really feel this, I mean this, it is an opportunity, it is a privilege to enter into the presence of God. And certainly, to gather together with brothers and sisters of like mind, of like spirit, uh, who are seeking to do the same. Amen. What an awesome opportunity we have today. The Lord our God is here. He's here to minister. He's here to bless. He's here to save, to deliver, to restore, to provide. Whatever our need is tonight. He's here for that. Can you imagine the Creator of everything, the Creator of this universe, who has all power, has all authority, has all knowledge and wisdom, is touched with the feeling of your infirmities. He desires to have a relationship with us, with you individually. That will never cease to amaze me that someone like that wants a relationship with someone like me. I am so thankful tonight for my salvation. I'm so thankful tonight that this God, this Creator, established with me a covenant relationship. And now I can come before Him at any time, in any place, and make my petitions and my requests known unto Him. What a privilege that is. What a privilege that is. Amen. Let's all stand. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Uh, there are some people who are uh, sick, have injuries, and not with us this evening. Please pray for them. Uh, pray for our service this evening, that God would take care of your needs and the person next to you as well. Amen. Lord Jesus, we are so thankful for you. Oh, my Lord Jesus, you are so awesome. You are so beautiful. You are so wondrous in this and in every place. I am so thankful for your so great salvation. I am so thankful for the covenant relationship that you've established with me, for the revelation of truth. I could not discover truth on my own. You had to reveal it. Thank you, Jesus, for the revelation of truth. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you continue to walk with us, that you continue to lead us and guide us into all truth, that you continue to perfect us and strengthen us and encourage us and edify us so that we are equipped, that we are trained, that we are ready to accomplish the tasks that You have set in store for us. I pray, Lord, for this service, that You administer here wondrously and gloriously, that Your great and mighty name would be glorified in our midst. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. God bless you. Thank you for standing. You can be seated tonight. You've all heard the phrase, you get what you pay for. And that's generally true. You buy something cheap, bargain basement, yeah, you're saving money, but a lot of times I've discovered you're really not. Because you've got to buy it again and again and again and again. Trips to the store, gas, maintenance, the whole nine yards. Or I could have just spent five times that and it would have lasted ten times as long. My wife, she's with me tonight, but I don't know if she's backing me on that. I was self-employed for a while, and when it came to buying tools, I bought the best I could afford. Because I knew, and some of you know as well, that you'll make that money back on a good tool. Time saved. Frustration saved. You don't have to take an hour off of work to go to the shop and buy another one or try to fix it. It just works, and it works well. Amen. The psalmist said in one six, uh, Psalm 116 and verse 12, What shall I render unto the Lord for all His benefits toward me? What shall I render unto the Lord for all His benefits toward me? 
Now, it's interesting that the psalmist is stating here that he already received the benefits. And his question is, what should I give in return for them? So tonight, we're not going to talk about you get what you pay for. We're going to talk about you pay what you get for. If that makes sense. You pay what you get for. There's a story that I tried desperately to find. Uh, I'm probably going to get a couple details of this story wrong because I couldn't find it. Just to understand it's not original with me. This story is about uh, some robber baron era businessman. Again, I can't remember who it was. I thought it was Henry Ford. Uh, it might be someone else. Anyway, that era, 19-teens-ish. And this, uh, this businessman hired someone who could help him get more done in less time. The man told the businessman, simply, write down everything you have to get done. And then, prioritize each item on the list from the most important to the least. And then, start at the top of the list and work your way down. The things you don't get done today, you start fresh tomorrow. Well, the businessman wasn't real impressed with that. And so he was afraid he was going to have to pay this exorbitant fee for this seemingly simple advice. But the, the, the man said, no, 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 no. Just try the system for a month and I'll come back and you can pay me whatever you think it's worth. So, a month later, the man comes back and uh, he's going to go talk to the businessman, see what he thought of it. Well, he wasn't there, but in the office was a check waiting for him for $1 million. <clears throat> Which at the time was quite a bit of money. It's still quite a bit of money, but quite a bit more back then. So he received the benefit first, and then later on, he figured out what it was worth and paid accordingly. Now, I've spent some time past several services detailing the cost, both actual and potential, of serving Jesus. And make no mistake, there is a cost. Jesus himself told us we need to count the cost, lest we go into something excited and ready to go and realize that it's costing me more than I thought it would. And we spent some time on that. But tonight, I want to talk about the whole slew of benefits that we receive for serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, there are certainly costs involved. There are. But, I still maintain that the price is most certainly worth it. You see, there's a cost to anything that we do or don't do. Uh, it's known in financial, economic, trading circles as opportunity cost. I have $100. I can invest it in real estate. I can put it in the bank. I can buy uh, a really nice meal with it. I can go buy some new shoes on sale. I can do all kinds of things with it. But once I make a choice and, and put my money there, all the other options are gone now. I don't have those options open anymore. So there's that opportunity cost. So, when we're moving forward in the Lord, we, we, we come to the Lord initially, and He provides all kinds of benefits. We're going to talk about as much as, as, much as time will allow. <clears throat> and they're free. They're utterly free. They don't cost us a thing. We receive salvation free of charge. We receive everything that happens to us from Him, every good thing from Him, free of charge. We certainly don't earn them. We can't earn anything from the Lord. But He gives them as gifts. They're free gifts. And then, when we've been living for God for a while, we kind of come to ourselves and we realize, like David did, I'm getting all these benefits. The Lord has been so good to me. What shall I render to the Lord in return for these? 
that price, that cost that we've been talking about, it comes to us after we've received the benefits. And whatever we end up paying is really what we think those benefits are worth. So let's talk about some of these benefits tonight. The first and greatest benefit that we receive from the Lord is, of course, salvation. If we received nothing else from God, if God came down and saved us and then ran away until we met Him in heaven again, that would be more than I could have ever hoped for. That would be more powerful and and more important for me than anything else. If I didn't have a relationship with God, if if He saved me and then just let whatever happened to me happen to me, and then when I died and I go to heaven and I'd be with Him, that would be perfect. That would be just fine. Because I'm going to go through life without Him anyway if He doesn't save me, right? So what does salvation do for us exactly? I mean, we have a hope in heaven, certainly, but I think sometimes we forget about all the benefits of salvation here. There are so many benefits here. The first one I want to talk about is that we are made a new creature. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Now, I've heard the phrase, we're just a sinner saved by grace. And I respectfully disagree with that. And this verse is why. Because I was a sinner. I was someone who hated God. Who hated the ways of God. Who hated God's laws and precepts. Who walked contrary to His will. That's who I used to be. But now God transformed me into someone else entirely. Someone who loves Him. Someone who wants to please Him, to serve Him with my life. I'm not a sinner saved by grace. I am a new creature. Old things are passed away. All things are become new. I was a sinner. But now I'm a child of God. He transforms us. He makes us something else new entirely. One preacher said, we are an entirely new species. Spiritually. And I think that's fairly apt. This old man, new man dichotomy is represented in several scriptures. I just pulled a few of them out. Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 and 17 says, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. We have to understand that when we're born again, when we, our regenerated nature, the part of us that wants to please God and serve God with our lives, there is also our old nature. It's still there. It's still present. And it's going to be with us until the day we die. Or we're raptured. But in any case... Those two are warring against one another constantly. The old cartoon analogy of a devil on one shoulder and an angel on the other is ludicrous and ridiculous, but inside that's kind of true. God's regenerated nature and our old fallen nature are at war one with the other. And it's been said that the one you feed is the one that's going to win. The one that's going to be victorious. So don't feed the flesh. Feed the spiritual man. Romans 6.6 6 says, Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. So again, understanding that not only are we going to feed our regenerated nature, By prayer, fasting, reading the Word of God, coming to church, hearing the preaching. We are also going to starve and to crucify our old nature. We are going to avoid anything and everything that that it desires. It's interesting to me that the flesh seems to desire only those things that will destroy it. I don't understand that, but 
that seems to be the way it is. Colossians 3 and 9 says, Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds. Amen. So we are new creatures in Christ. We receive the fruit of the Spirit. Before salvation, we walked in the works and in the lusts of the flesh. Galatians 5, 19-21 says this, Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of the which I tell you before, as I have told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. The problem is that before we're regenerated, we have no choice. That's all we can do. Because there is, before I came to the Lord, there was no regenerated nature in me. All it was was fallen me. Degenerate me. So that's all I was capable of. I could be a nice person when I had to. But my nature was corrupt. My nature was evil. If we want to understand how important and how much of a miracle salvation really is, we've got to first understand how fallen we were before we come to the Lord. How degenerate and broken we are. There is inside of us Every one of us, a rapist, a mass murderer, whatever abominable acts you can imagine, we are capable of that in our old fallen nature. We just have to be put in the right circumstance for the right amount of time. That's it. We have to understand how we come to the Lord. God's not getting anything special when when we come to Him. We're getting everything special when we come to Him. But after we have been made new creatures, God gives us a new nature. He puts His Spirit inside of us. And Paul continues in verse 22, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. So after we come to the Lord, after He has regenerated us and given us His Spirit, given us a new nature, now we are able to walk in a way pleasing to Him. Now we have affections that are Christ-like. All of these characteristics are characteristics of God. Not you. And not me. God imprints them, if you will, unto us in a regenerated nature. He provides forgiveness of sins. Psalm 32 and 1 says, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. I will amen that. My sins have been forgiven. Not because I'm worthy. Not because I've earned it. It's the good gift of God. God forgave my sins because He loved me. And only God can forgive sin. Psalm 85 and 2 says, Thou hast forgiven the iniquity of Thy people. Thou hast covered all their sin. Selah. Mark 2 and 7 says, Why doth this man thus speak blasphemies? Referring to Jesus. Who can forgive sins but God only? True. That's true. We read that Jesus has power to forgive sins. Matthew 9 and 6 says, But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. Then saith he to the sick of the palsy, Arise, take up thy bed, and go unto thine house. Luke 7 and 48 says, And he said unto her, Thy sins are forgiven. Acts 5 and 31 says, Him hath God exalted with His right hand to be a prince and a savior for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. So we see Jesus has the power to forgive sins. Let's take it a step further. He'll forgive your sins. 
Colossians 1 and 14 says, In whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Who does? We do. Colossians 2 and 13 says, And you, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath He quickened together with Him, having forgiven you all trespasses. What an awesome thing to stand before a holy and a righteous God completely and utterly forgiven. Guiltless. 1 John 1 and 9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 John 2 and 12 says, I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for His name's sake. Another benefit we receive is we are adopted into His family. Romans 8 and 15 says, For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Galatians 4 and 5 says, To redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Ephesians 1 and 5, Having predestinated us to the, under the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will. We were outside the family of God. We were outside of any kind of covenant with God. We were helpless and we were hopeless. But because we have submitted ourselves to the Gospel, He has adopted us into His family. He has given us His name in water baptism. Praise God! We are now sons and daughters of the Most High. And that's why we can cry, Abba, Father. He is not just God the Father. He is our Father. Amen. He's holy. And He bestows that holiness upon us. Exodus 15 and 11 says, Who is like unto thee, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like thee, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? Exodus 28 and 36 says, And thou shalt make a plate of pure gold, and grave upon it like the engravings of a signet, holiness to the Lord. This is what the high priest was to wear. How important is holiness to God? Well, in the Old Testament, the high priest had to wear it around all the time. Every time he put on the, the priestly garments, that was right out in front. Holiness to the Lord. Isaiah 6, 1 and 3 says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and His train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. God is a holy God. He is altogether holy. And He can't be anything but holy. That is a characteristic of God. It's inherent with Him. He has to be holy. Through God we are separated from the world and set apart for His purposes. Romans 1 and 4 says, "...and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead." Romans 6.22 says, But now, being made free from sin and become servants to God, ye have your fruit unto holiness and the end to everlasting life. Romans 12 and 1 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Hebrews 12 and 14 says, Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. Now, I know that a lot of people, when we start talking about holiness, immediately start thinking standards. I gotta dress a certain way, I gotta look a certain way, I gotta act a certain way. I would encourage you to do that. I would encourage you to act like God would have us to act. Okay? Now having said that, holiness is on the inside. I've said this before, I'll continue to say it. Holiness and standards are something different entirely. Standards are a manifestation of inward holiness. Okay? Does God care how I dress? Does God care what I look like? 
The answer is yes, He does. He absolutely does. If you read the Old Testament, He cares what I look like. He cares what I put on this body. He cares what I put in this body. But, if I'm evil on the inside, and I'm all nice and holy looking on the outside, it doesn't matter. See? I can look the part all day long, but I'm still not going to make it to heaven if there's nothing in here. If the Spirit of God isn't in here, it doesn't matter. When the Spirit of God is present in here, that is the Spirit of holiness. God will make me holy. He will transform me and cause me to look like Him. After salvation, that's God's perfect will for each and every person. is to be transformed into His image. That we look like Him. We speak like Him. We think like Him. We're able to properly and effectually demonstrate Him to this world. So having said all of that, I'm talking about holiness tonight. Inward holiness. 2 Corinthians 6, 14-18. And going on to chapter 7, verse 1. A lot of Scriptures here tonight. Just hang on. But ye not, be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord. And touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Amen. Now we're not, when we get saved, when we first get baptized, we first receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, we are not holy. Okay? I'm still probably living in sin. I'm still shacked up with a girlfriend. I'm still going to the bars. It takes time. It took me time. Maybe you guys were okay instantly. It took me a little bit of time to get everything worked out, for God to get everything worked out in my life. For me to just, oh, you don't like that. Okay. I'll stop doing that. Oh, you like this. Okay, I'll start doing that. This is a maturity and this is a relationship thing. The closer I get to God and the, the, the more I, I, I'll just say this, grow up spiritually, the more I start seeing what God wants what pleases God. And the more I start feeling like I want to do that because it pleases Him. If I love God, I'm going to do what pleases Him. I really don't feel like I need to do that. Okay, well, I don't think that matters. It pleases God. I do all kinds of things at the house that if my wife were gone... I'd stop doing just like that. But I do them because they please her. <laughs> That's the only reason I do them. Sorry, sweetie, it's true. And I'm sure she could tell me some things she does for no other reason than that's what I want done. Otherwise, she wouldn't do them at all. All right, Ephesians 4, 22 and 24. That you put off concerning the former conversation the old man which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Amen. So, God is a holy God. He wants us, He makes provision for us, and He expects us to be a holy people. 
unto Him. Amen. We have the promise of everlasting life. John 5 and 24 says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life, and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. John 3.16, who doesn't know this? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. 1 Corinthians 15, 51-57 says, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Folks, we have a hope beyond this world. And we have that hope right here tonight. We have it today. We have it as soon as we've as soon as we've submitted ourselves to the plan of salvation. As soon as we've entered into a covenant relationship with God. We have that hope. And we will continue to have that hope as long as we're serving Him. That's a benefit that we enjoy here and now. We have the promise, the benefit of healing. Physical healing. Deuteronomy 32 and 39 says, See now that I, even I, am He, and there is no God with me. I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal. Neither is there any that can deliver out of my hand. Psalm 30 and 2 the psalmist is recognizing the healing power of God. O Lord my God, I cried unto Thee, and Thou hast healed me. Isaiah 53 and 5, referring to the coming Messiah, says He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him, and with His stripes we are healed. He literally purchased our healing with stripes on His back. What kind of stripes did Jesus receive? It wasn't the belt that my dad gave me. That was, that was pleasant. And that was enjoyable compared to what kind of stripes Jesus received. The cat of nine tails ripped his back to shreds. Down to the bone. Malachi 4 and 2 says, But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings. And ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. Let me go back to Isaiah for just a second. You know, when you purchase something at, at, at a very high price, don't you want to use it? If I buy a really, really expensive car, they're all expensive, I know. But I'm talking about really like two, three hundred thousand dollar car, a nice, a nice candy apple red Ferrari. My wife's least favorite color. <clears throat> something flashy, something you know that'll deafen me when I start the engine, and and you know the kind of thing. Something like that. I'm not going to buy that. I promise you, to store it in the garage. That's not what I'm going to do with it. I'm going to put the keys in it or the fob and push a button, however it is nowadays, and I'm going to drive. And I'm going to drive a lot. I'm going to go all over the place. I'm going to let people see it. I'm going to drive up in the drive-thru. <laughs> one of our friends <laughs> he said he wanted a Ferrari for this one reason. He would talk to people and say, Excuse me, is this the Ferrari parking lot? Because I'm driving a Ferrari. Excuse me, is this the, is this the Ferrari drive-through? Because I'm, I'm, I'm driving a Ferrari, so. And he would say that about everything. <laughs> I hope he never gets one. Because that would be irritating. But uh, that's what I would do. I would, I would show it off. I'd drive everywhere with it. I wouldn't store it. I wouldn't hide it. Jesus paid for our healing with stripes on His back. 
What a high price. Imagine that just for a second. The Bible says that with his stripes we are healed. He purchased our healing with those stripes. He's not going to store it in the garage, folks. I wouldn't. He wants to use it. He wants to use it. He purchased our healing. He is the Lord, our healer. Matthew 4, 23 and 24 says, Then Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. And his fame went throughout all Syria. I'm reading fast because i got a lot to get through. And they brought unto them all, all sick people that were taken with diverse diseases and torments, and those that were possessed with devils, and those which were lunatic, and those that had the palsy, and he healed them. All of them. Every one of them. Every single one of them were healed. Matthew 9.35 said, And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. All right, well, I'm not going to get into divine healing tonight, but looking at Scripture and not my own personal experience, i got to say, folks, Jesus is a healer. Amen. He provides emotional healing. Psalm 41 and 4 said, I said, Lord, be merciful unto me. Heal my soul, for I have sinned against Thee. Jesus will heal the emotional torment of our soul. He'll heal wounds. He'll heal hurts. And a lot of times, those wounds are far more deadly than any physical wound we could ever get. God can heal them. You don't need six, seven, twenty years talking to a counselor or, or a psychotherapist. God can take care of you right now if He wants. If you want. He wants. He provides spiritual healing. Jeremiah 3.22 says, Return ye backslidden children, and I will heal your backslidings. Behold, we come unto thee, for thou art our, the Lord our God. Matthew 13 and 15 says, For this people's heart is waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest at any time they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and should understand with their heart, and should be converted, and I should heal them. Did you know there are people walking around today who know truth, but they close their eyes. They close their ears to it. They don't want to hear it. They don't want to see it. Don't tell me. Don't tell me. Don't show me anything. How crazy is that? But it's true. There are people walking around like that. They know what the truth is but they have purposed in their heart that they are going to run away from it, ignore it, find something else to believe in. Because they don't want this. But God can heal that too. Praise God. God provides provision. He provides for our physical needs. Matthew 6, 24-34 says, No man can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. You can't. You're going to serve one of them. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body, what ye shall put on. Is not the life more than meat, and the body than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? In other words, why are you going to worry about it? It doesn't help you one bit. And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore? If God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall He not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore take no thought, saying, what, we, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Let the day's own cares 
be sufficient for the day. Amen. I talked to a friend of mine the other day on the phone. We got into church at about the same time, and uh, he was in the army with me. He reminded me of something our pastor had said. He was Our pastor was, uh, someone had come up to him uh, talking about tithes and offerings. And he didn't have enough money to pay his tithes and the light bill. So, my pastor said, well, I'll tell you what, I'll make a deal with you. I'll pay your light bill if you'll pay your tithes. This guy said, okay, yeah, that sounds good. And then he said, you know what you just did? You put more faith in me than you do in God. Whoopsies. Yeah. Not cool. <clears throat> did my pastor have the ability to pay the light bill? I'm sure he did. I'm certain he did. Does God have the ability to pay the light bill? So much more. How much money does God have? God can make the electricity run without paying it. God can make the electricity just out of thin air. God can rewrite the physical laws of the universe so that you don't need the electricity to power the, the stuff. I mean, He can do whatever He wants to do here. That's where our faith needs to be, folks. Our trust and our confidence needs to be in God. It needs to be in God. When we're serving God, we put Him first. I appreciate the fact that you know we want to be frugal with our money. We want to, we want to be good stewards and all that. But when God requires something of us, I don't think we need to worry about the expenditure. Now, like I said, we don't want to be stupid with it. But at the same time, God's will, God's bill. That's my motto. If He wants me to come to church and I don't have money for the gas, I'm going to trust in God. I know I told you that story about running out of gas, but that's something different. That was different. <laughs> I wasn't doing something for Jesus. I was doing something for me. <clears throat> but if I'm doing something for God, I'm going to trust Him. I'm going to trust Him. Amen. He takes care of our spiritual needs. He provided for us a substitutionary sacrifice. Genesis 22 and 8 says, Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went both of them together. We understand that that's indicative. That's a, a, a type and a shadow of God coming down in the form of a man and sacrificing himself at Calvary. Isaiah 53 and 10 refers to this. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. He shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He is going to be the offering for our sin. 1 Peter 3 and 18 says, For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. Ever since the Garden of Eden to Calvary, there have been substitutionary sacrifices for our sin. Animals, the, the blood of lambs and bullocks and goats were spilled in our place so that our sins could be rolled forward temporarily. Looking forward to the day that Jesus would die once and for all. One sacrifice for sin. And that sacrifice was altogether sufficient to cover all the sins from all the people from all of time. Praise God. And He did that so I wouldn't have to. So you wouldn't have to. His holiness and His righteousness demanded payment for sin. It has to be paid. It's got to. That's part of His character. God is holy and He's righteous and He's just. And payment has to be made. Judgment has to ensue. But He's also a God of mercy and love and compassion. And He doesn't want to do that to us. So He solved it by taking the price upon Himself. He paid the price Himself. When He hung on the cross, 
He took his own punishment upon himself. Thank God. Thank God. He provides weapon and armor, weapons and armor for spiritual warfare. Ephesians chapter 6 and verses 10 through 18 says, Finally, my brethren, <clears throat> be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. That person that really gets your goat, that person that, that you can't stand to be around, or, or that person that can't stand to be around you, who tries to push your buttons all the time, your warfare isn't against him. It's not against her. It's against the spirit behind that. It's hard to see that sometimes. But our warfare is not against flesh and blood. It's not against people. It's against spirits. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, having on the breastplate of righteousness, your feet sod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Wouldn't it be much nicer and much easier if we just got robes down here? I would much prefer that, thank you very much. I don't want the armor. I don't want to fight. I don't want to have to use a sword and a shield all the time. I'd just rather just sit down and keep my robes clean and spotless. That'd be nice. But there's a reason we don't have robes. There's a reason we have armor and a sword and a shield. And that's because we're in warfare down here. This is warfare. I've spent enough time on that. We're at war, folks. We're still at war. We're going to be at war until we're called home. That's when we get to retire. That's when we get to retire the sword and the shield and we get to put on our spotless white garments. That's when we get to rest. There's no rest down here. Not Well, there's a spiritual rest. But even spiritually, even spiritually, it's a fight. That'll be a message for another time. Gifts of the Spirit. He provides us. 1 Corinthians 12, 1-11. I'm not going to take the time to read that, but all the spiritual gifts. <clears throat> diversities of administrations, diversities of operations. Uh, these gifts are the manifestation of the Spirit resident within us to accomplish God's will. Miracles, prophecy, discerning of spirits, tongues, interpretation of tongues. Uh, all of these things, word of knowledge, word of wisdom. They are all given severally to every man with all according as he wills. And they're not for your pleasure and they're not for your benefit. They're for the benefit of others. They're for the benefit of the kingdom of God. When God gives you a word of knowledge about someone, hey, that, uh, that woman over there is sleeping around with someone. The, uh, the best thing to do would not be to just stand up with a prayer request. Please pray for Sister So-and-So if she's shacking up with someone. That's not the best way to handle that. They are for the benefit of the body of Christ. They are for the benefit of the kingdom of God. Amen. That's why God gives them. <clears throat> God provides our emotional needs. A lot of times we feel like we need this person or that person or we're not going to make it. That's simply not true. You may feel like that. You may even believe that. But that's not how God designed this thing. That's not how God. Uh, that's not God's desire for any of us. His desire is that ultimately we get all of our needs met in Him. That He is our all in all. That He is our exceeding great reward. That's how He's designed this. Psalm 63, 1-8 says, O God, Thou art my God, early will I seek Thee. My soul thirsteth for thee. My flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. Amen. To see thy power and thy glory, so as I have seen thee in the sanctuary, because thy loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise thee. 
Thus will I bless thee while I live. I will lift up my hands in thy name. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise thee with joyful lips when I remember thee upon my bed and meditate on thee in the night watches, because thou hast been my help. Therefore in the shadow of thy wings will I rejoice. My soul followeth hard after thee. Thy right hand upholdeth me. Amen. This is when David was on the run, hiding and running from King Saul. He was rejoicing in the God of his salvation. He was rejoicing in the God that was meeting all of his needs. He had few friends. He had many enemies. He had nothing as far as worldly possessions. Certainly no title. He was a criminal. He was a runaway. But God was meeting every one of his needs. Praise God. God gives us victory over our enemies. He gives us victory over the flesh, the world system, the devil. He gives us revelation of who he is. He gives us revelation of truth. All of these things are provided for us through Jesus Christ. The benefits that we receive of God are here and now. We're not looking forward to them. The things that we're looking forward to are in heaven. Uh, I can't begin to explain to you what, what's waiting for us in heaven. Okay? Uh, it's like trying to explain how big God is or how smart God is. I mean, we can we understand He's really smart. He's really big. Uh, heaven's going to be really cool. It's going to be perfect. It's going to be, you know, everything we want. <coughs> but it's going to be so many times more than that. You don't know what you want. You don't know what your best is. God does. And that's what's going to be up there for us. Uh, <laughs> I think if if we were to experience that in our bodies, our, our hearts would explode. Our hearts would blow up. It would it would destroy us. If we spent if we if we we're in the physical presence of God. Our bodies would burn up. The glory, the majesty would simply burn our bodies up. So trying to explain that to someone, trying to understand that myself is... I'm going to keep trying, folks, but it's just not going to happen. Not, not to the extent that He is glorious. Not to the extent that He is majestic. I can tell you He's glorious. He's majestic. And whatever pops into your mind is, is the best we're going to get down here. But these benefits that we receive instantly upon salvation are for the here and now. They're for the here and now. We have those to look forward to right now. And I think that we forget about that a lot of times. We focus on what we don't seem to have. We focus on what sister so-and-so has and what brother so-and-so has or what they're not going through. And I am. And why me? That's what we tend to focus on. But we've got this huge list of benefits that the enemy somehow keeps getting my eyes off of and I, I get the one or two things that I don't have at the moment. And I, I fixate on that, and I can't seem to get my eyes off of anything else, onto anything else. Why is that? Why is it so hard for me to stay focused on all of these benefits? Folks, these benefits, any one of them, are miracles. Any one of the things I mentioned are miracles from God. But we get all of them. All of them. We don't have to earn them. We don't have to be good enough to get them. He just gives them to us. When He creates in us a new creature, He makes us worthy to receive them. He makes us worthy to receive His love. That is awesome. That is... I can't... I can't begin to imagine... How awesome that is. It, it doesn't ever 
it doesn't ever cease to amaze me. What God does for me. What God provides for me. The relationship that I have with Him is so personal and so close. I talk with Him and He talks with me. Can you imagine that? Why would He talk with me? Why would He do that? What do I have to offer God? He doesn't need me. He doesn't need anybody. He doesn't need anything. But we don't have just permission to enter into His presence. He bids us to come. He wants us to come. He tells us to come. He gives us an invitation. Please, please come. Please talk with me. Please have a relationship with me. That's why He created you. That's why He created me. To have a relationship with Him. So that we would choose to love Him. That we would choose to serve Him with our lives. That He would be our God. And we would be His people. That He could manifest Himself through us to this world. All of His love. All of His mercy, His compassion, His holiness, His righteousness, His glory, His splendor, such as we can, that that would be manifested here. His power, His authority. That through you, He could manifest those things to those around you, those at the workplace, your loved ones, your family members. What an awesome privilege we have We are made the holy of holies. We are made the temple of the Holy Ghost. If you know anything about the Old Testament, the high priest could go there one time a year and that's it. And he better be perfect. He better be ceremonially clean and he better be covered from head to foot or he's struck dead. That's you and me now. We're the temple of God. We are made the repositories of truth. I am so thankful. I am so thankful for what God has done for me. I am so thankful for what God has in store for us. Those gifts are going to keep coming as long as I serve Him. He's still going to, he's going to keep loving on us. He's going to keep drawing close to us. He's going to keep providing our needs above all that we can ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. He's going to do that because He loves you. What are we going to do for Him in return? Because we love Him back. Amen. Let's all stand. Oh Lord Jesus, I am so thankful for You. Thankful for Your so great salvation. I'm thankful, Lord Jesus, that You called me when I was a long ways off. When I was living contrary to your will and to your law, you loved me. You you hung on a cross and died in my place. You drew me to a place of repentance unto salvation. You cleaned me up and picked me up and set me on my high place. You gave me a new nature, your nature. You loved me when I was unlovable. You called me your son. You gave me your name the earnest of my inheritance, the gift of the Holy Ghost. And this is just a taste. This is just a a small portion of what's in store for us. Oh, hallelujah, Jesus. Help us to ever remember the good gifts of God. Help us to ever remember there may be a cost, but the price is so definitely worth it. 
Because, as the Apostle Paul said, these light afflictions, which are but for a moment, worketh in us a far more exceeding and eternal weight in glory. Things that we go through here, the things that we have to sacrifice or maybe lose here are nothing compared to what's in store for us. Nothing at all. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I pray that you bless all those within the sound of my voice. Go with us. Minister unto our needs, I pray. Bring us back to the house of God. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thank you so very much for your kind attention. Uh, yeah, Sunday. Sunday one service. We're having our graduation service this Sunday. That's what it is. All right. 10 o'clock, right? Prayer? 10.30 service? Service is 10. Okay. 9.30 prayer. 10 o'clock service. Amen. And uh, we have a very special guest speaker this Sunday. Sister Miriam, you'll be happy. She's a female. I know you like that. <laughs> Ask her about that. She'll tell you. Anyway, uh, Sister Rudy's going to be speaking to the graduates. Uh, she has something from the Lord. I am very much looking forward to hearing it because, if I may be perfectly frank with you folks, I was getting nothing. I was getting nothing at all from God. Um, so I was... God came through. Amen. Give it to someone else. That's fine by me. Amen. So, 9.30 prayer, 10 o'clock service. Uh, you're dismissed.